Hello, and welcome to The Artist Pivot, a weekly conversation with artists about their current pivot, past pivots, and every pivot in between. I am your host, Ayana Major Bay, an actress who wants to educate, empower, and celebrate artists so they have no option but to thrive. On this episode, I am joined by actor, producer, founder, and creative director of Broadway Black, Andrew Shade. He is originally from Indiana and now resides in New York City. This year, he produced the first-ever Antonio Awards, honoring Black artists on Broadway. We discuss his swift move to NYC after losing his job in Indiana, how Broadway Black turned into much more than he imagined, resulting in him putting himself on the back burner, and that our first therapist is our breath. Here's our conversation. So hello there, Mr. Andrew Shade. How are you doing, hon? I can't complain. I'm alive, breathing on schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right about that, my dear. You're right about that. And where are you in the world right now? Currently, I am in the Bronx. I live in uh, Riverdale, New York. Okay. Okay. And are you from the Bronx? No, no, no. I'm originally from Indiana. So I um, grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I moved to New York about eight years ago. Okay. Okay. And what made you move to New York? Oh, um, you know, following dreams. I think, you know, New York City has always been the, the city of dreams and... um I wanted to come here to pursue mine. I've always been a theater lover. And I had just lost my job right before I moved here. So I just lost my job. And I said to myself, I'm going to start over. I don't want to start over in Fort Wayne, in Indiana. So I just sold all my furniture and I picked up and I moved. Um, I mean, it's a little bit more detailed than that, but I did um, get inspired. I went to go see Kinky Boots in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing an out-of-town tryout. And I had just lost my job the day before and I already had these tickets. So I went to Chicago to see Kinky Boots and was like so excited, lived my life. I went shopping that day. Really didn't have no money to be shopping, but I did anyway, just to make myself feel better. Uh-huh. And I um, went and stage door the show and met Billy Porter. And he really inspired me and told me that I felt like I needed to be in New York and I needed to get there as soon as I could. And I, that was a sign for me. So I picked up and sold all my stuff and I was in New York about maybe two weeks later. All right. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. You were like, okay, I'm doing this. Yep, I'm out. That was the confirmation I needed. I needed that affirmation from someone else. Um, and yeah, he 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 affirmed me in that way. And I picked up and I just went went for it. And um, it, it was sort of destined. I, was, I think, you know, the universe sort of uh, responded in kind uh, to me doing that and listening to, my, to myself. Um, because once I moved here, I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have anything. So I made a tweet. And I tweeted out, this is like Twitter was just starting to pop or whatever. It's 2012. So Twitter had been out for maybe like two or three years at this point. Mm-hmm. It sort of popped. So I had a little bit of a following and I tweeted out and said, hey, I'm in New York. Anybody got a place for me to stay? Let me know. Didn't know what I was about to do. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I landed, um, I had messages to that tweet and somebody came and got me from the airport. Let me stay in a room that they had rent, uh, they had available in Yonkers. Um, and I stayed in Yonkers for like my first month and a half of being in New York City until I moved into Harlem. I rented a room in Harlem. Um, but yeah, so like the first day I got here, I found a place to stay. The next day I found a job as a bartender. Um, and then the third day I, I found my boyfriend that I would date that I dated for five years. <laughs> yeah. So you, oh, you, you were on it. You were like one, two, three. Oh my God. I was on it. Do you hear me? I came and had a whole new life once I got here. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So that was your first pivot. Mm-hmm. Like you lost your job in Indiana and it was, you were like, well, okay, what am I going to do now? Right. I'm out. Like, let's go. So yeah, that's how it, that's how it happened, and I, I definitely pivoted. That was a big pivot too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so when you got to New York, what was your focus, or did you not have one? You were just like, I'm here, and I'm going to 
Well, I had, um, I studied musical theater at Ball State University, but I dropped out my senior year. I was going through a lot of mental um, stress, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. I'm um, not really knowing that I was, that I had um, depression and anxiety. Didn't really know what that was. It wasn't something we really talked about in that, in that during that time uh, when I was, when I left school in like 2009. Um, so I started Broadway Black, really became an idea in like 2010, but I formulated the idea and not really, didn't really follow through. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to New York that I saw the need for the platform that I had in my head that I sort of had started to create and not really um, push forward with. But I saw that there was a need for it. So that's what made me pick it back up and say, OK, I have to really like form this and take this seriously. Um, and this could be my way into the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were you know, hitting the pavement in different ways and auditioning and, and doing internships. And people were finding their own way to to be seen or to... Um, to make a statement in the industry. And I knew that I had a gift. I knew that I was talented, but I knew that I wasn't a run of the mill. So I knew that I wasn't on the same rat race as everyone else. Um, and I, I decided to use Broadway Black as my uh, learning course of what it meant to be in this industry. Um, and so I, I did what I thought um, looked good or what I thought was the right move to make. And that sort of just led me on this crazy journey of, um, creating content and and interviewing multiple Broadway stars and being at all these events and things. And so it sort of just picked up over time. Um, it, 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 yeah, I didn't plan on like starting it, like really coming to New York and doing that. I thought I was going to be an actor, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I saw an opportunity to, and I saw a need really in the community. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I just began. And I, I had no journalism background, no social media background, marketing background, any of that, anything of that nature. I've really pretty much had to teach myself as I've gone, gone along. Um, so, yeah, right. that's how it started. That's how it started, right? You just had the idea. And as you were pursuing acting, you were like, well, I also have this talent. And I but you know the need. The thing mm-hmm. is, I never really pursued acting. I, Did, I really? I never really had the chance. I mean, I literally moved here. Okay. On November the 12th, I found mm-hmm. a job on the 13th. The, my boyfriend at the time worked at the same job I was working at, so I was bartending. And you got to remember, this is right after Hurricane Sandy. Um, so, like, a lot of things were closed down. Uh, it was just a weird... The whole city was in a pivot because of the hurricane. So, mm-hmm. um, it was a different time. And so, I was still discovering what it meant to live here and mm. what it meant to um, um, really be myself. It's the first time me living on my on my own, like without immediate family nearby, um, or that you know people didn't know who I was. Like I come from a smaller town. My dad's a pastor. Um, he has he owns a, a black owned business that a lot of people frequent, um, and so a lot of people knew me because of my dad, where I was from. They knew me because of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the first time feeling some sort of freedom in who I was and developing who I was and trying to figure out where to to go next. So I really didn't have an opportunity to start auditioning for. Um, any acting work because immediately I, I, Broadway Black sort of became my focus. And that was, you know, how I connected with um, um, how I started just show, showing up at events because I started to look and see where things were happening. So that's how I entered, like, entered into the industry was showing up at like opening nights and taking pictures and, and starting this Instagram and um, building a website for it and trying to figure out what it meant to be a, a media outlet for Black people. Um, mm-hmm. I never had the opportunity to really start like auditioning or knowing what, what that was like. Uh, Yeah. I wish that I would have, Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have a lot of different insight um, into what it is that I'm doing now, but um, everything in its time. So yeah. And 
yeah, for a long time, I put myself on a back burner talent wise in order to do Broadway Black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understood. Understood. Well, I actually didn't know that about you because, you know, we met a little while ago doing a production of Dreamgirls that was yeah. unfortunately shut down because oh of COVID. Um, but I didn't know that. I thought you were doing both at the same time. No, Dreamgirls was my first show. Really? I have not done a show in like eight years. I did actually a lot. I did um, the first Noel at the Apollo. I was in the ensemble of that show. Jason Michael Webb and uh, Leland Duran were good friends of mine, and they wrote that show and I auditioned for that. Um, and ended up getting a role in the ensemble, I'm meeting some wonderful people, working with uh, Angela Burchett. Uh, mm-hmm. Ayanna George was in that show at the time. Um, uh, Ken Robinson, uh, just uh, Lizanne Mitchell, just some really really wonderful artists. We were. Um, I was in company with. And so that was an amazing experience, but it's not the same as when you know that you're a, uh, you know, I'm six, two, I'm a, I'm six, well, six, three, I'm six, three, um, I'm uh, 200 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm a tall leading man. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. difficult to ride the ensemble sometimes when you know that you are a leading man, especially if you have, you haven't done it for so many years. So dream girls was actually my, um, really my first show, like really to get away, to be able to really create, um, didn't feel like I was being watched or seen. And I felt like I was in a, in a role that I could really tackle as a leading man. Um, mm-hmm. and it had been a long time coming. So yeah, you you met me right when I had sort of tried to break into what I really wanted to do, what I really want to do. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll get back on stage together at some point. At <laughs> some point after all this madness. Ciao. So I also want to talk to you about um, something very special you did this year with Broadway Black called the Antonio Awards. Yay! And I want you to talk about that because, brother, I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It was a You're labor welcome. of love, most definitely. Um, the Antonios is an idea that I've had for a long time. You know, in the inception of Broadway Black, a part of that is always, you know, having, uh, has always been having an award show. Um, you know, I see so much, you know, when we look at Black media for mainstream for, for uh, mainstream you know, television and film. Um, we see you know, magazines, we see digital magazines, we see digital content, we see ads, we see um, stuff that really looks like it's marketed and catered to us. And so that's always been my goal is to create um, things that lifted us up and things that, that looked like and felt like they were meant for us. And with that, an award show. So I've always wanted to create an award show uh, to uplift and to empower our own, you know, and the Adelcos have been doing that for, for over 40 plus years. Um, but I, I saw a different vision for it, more contemporary, um, um, more free, more young type of, of, of ceremony. And um, always had wanted to do that and just never really had the opportunity or the, the resources to be able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And so a couple of years ago, I was going to the Tonys. I was uh, chatting with my friend Dustin Ross, um, who's a personality. He's a host, personality, comedian, uh, extraordinaire writer, one of my really close friends. And uh, I was going to the Tonys. I was like, oh, I'm getting ready for the Tonys. It was one of those years I was like, I really don't feel like doing this because the Tony day is like craziness. It's nonstop craziness from 10 o'clock in the morning till four or five, six o'clock the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just really was not in the mood. It's been like, it was maybe my fourth or fifth year. Just wasn't in the mood. And he said, you know, one day we're going to be able to do our own Tony Awards and it's going to be the Antonios, like as a joke. And he was, you know, just making a joke in reference to, you know, Black culture. And uh, we giggled about that for years. And so when it finally came time to um, do something, like I wanted to do something, I didn't know what, that that idea stuck out in my head. And I said, um, yeah, 
like this seems tangible because it's digital and because um i don't i don't have to have a lot of money i don't have to pay for a venue i don't have to you know get transportation or hotels for you know whoever or host or whatever i don't have to do a lot um i have to do a lot but not as nearly as much as i would have to if it was in person so it felt tangible it felt real so i just started making phone calls to people that i knew could do certain things that could um be active in certain places uh and really they had a skill set for certain things so i just started calling people that i knew and um they were available because we were in a pandemic. So it's <laughs> right. like I, I struck at the bit at the exact right time, like lightning struck and it all came together. And the way that we worked together, that team um, was really unreal. We all just really complimented each other. Uh, everyone took their ego out of it for the common good of, of, um, of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that shows, I think the love that we poured into it really shows. Um, and so I'm very proud of it. I'm very, um, happy that it happened mm-hmm. uh, it, it's still sometimes i can't believe it because we did all of that in six weeks and um it's been long it happened now and yeah. so uh to still be riding off of that wave is is unlike anything else i've ever done so i'm very mm-hmm. proud. yeah you should you should be you should be very proud i remember watching that and like beaming because i you know also knew a lot of people on the awards and seeing my friends and the opening number i'm like oh i know about three-fourths of those people in the opening number, you know, and knowing that you put this together and the hard work you put in and the team you had behind it, and you could see the love in the production. And so yeah. you should be very, very proud of it. And ride, honey, ride that high as long as possible. Listen, well, we've already started planning the next one, so... There you the go. It's is about to, you know, come to an end, but there's going to be another one soon. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's interesting for you to say that it was always going to be digital, correct? Like I thought you were planning it to be in person, but the fact that it was already going to be a digital thing and then COVID so happened and you were like, great, everybody's home. Well, no, the the awards always, I wanted it to be in person. I truly did want it to be in person. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but because of what where we were, I didn't have the idea until after we were already in quarantine. Mm. We were in quarantine and I had just done this inside the mind series where I talked about mental health and how people were coping and dealing with this, this new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had finished that. I think I had gotten what I needed from that and I felt inspired to create. And so I said, yeah, digital feels tangible to me because I don't have all of the resources. So I can I use, yeah, I can use um, and create the world that I want easier through the computer than I can in real life because it, t- it costs like, no money. Like, I mean, I think I paid overall, like just for like, you know, little trinkets here and there just to make things happen. I think I paid maybe three to $400 for that entire production. Mm. Wow. Which in real life would have cost you thousands. 30 to 40,000. No, without, without any question. A venue itself to hold or house a production of what we would like to see, especially with that many people um, that we had in this show. Um, it, it would cost just the venue itself would cost us $30,000. Mm. And, and yeah, so it's, it, it's no joke um, that, you know, we can, black people can create whatever we want. We just mm-hmm. don't, we just haven't been known to have the capital or the resources to do it. And so we make mm-hmm. do with what we have, um, which is always beautiful. And it's always heartfelt because it comes from a, a real place. Um, but imagine what we can do when we actually have the capital and the resources to create. That's that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. 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 That makes me excited, too, because I hope in this time that, you know, we're creating 
and manifesting the things we want so that when we do eventually come out of this, we can go, okay, here, world, this is what we've been working on. This is what we've been saving for. This is what I'd like to present to you Mm -hmm. and just do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so I would ask you, what do you miss about our industry right now? You know, because we're people who give hugs and like to go out and... (laughs) I mean, not all of us. I mean, I miss yeah, right. the theater. I do miss. I miss live theater. I do miss um, the energy around uh, performance. I miss the mm-hmm. energy around um, storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that to be able to go on a journey with a group of people, and and no two journeys are the same. Each each journey is different depending on which night you see the show. So uh, right. I miss that experience. That that one of a kind um, storytelling journey going, uh, if you will. So that's what I miss. Nothing else, by all means. Like, I am so okay being inside the house. I'm so okay not having to go anywhere. Like, yeah. Like, and I, I don't, I, <laughs> I, I say this often, but I'm not a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't like people. I love human beings. I don't like people because people, people. Um, and so I am, I, have learned how to protect my energy in that way. But also it, it right before Corona, you know, when we were doing dream girls in Virginia, I had just made the choice to choose me first. I was mm. just then beginning to make the choice to like put myself first and give Broadway black and everybody else my overflow. So I had made a commitment to stay off of social media. I've, I've been off social media now, but my personal accounts for over a year. Okay. Um, and that was a decision I made to sort of focus more on myself than what I was presenting um, out into the world. And, when I did that, that's when I booked Dream Girls. That's when I booked all these different things I had. Like I was pretty much booked all the way up until March of next year. So imagine finally deciding to choose yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I did this show at Carnegie Hall singing all Sondheim music with Titus Burgess. That was in February. And while we were in rehearsals for that was when I saw the auditions for Dream Girls. So I ended up auditioning for that that day. Um, and then ended up auditioning for more stuff. So imagine you are just now finally deciding to choose yourself. The mm-hmm. projects that you have with Broadway Black are like now sort of moving and, and shaping the way that you want them because you're working in a healthy way. Um, your mental health is great. Your physical health is good. And you're choosing you first all along the way. I was in a perfect position. Um, and so to have all of that stripped away mm-hmm. um, at that time, really like it messed me up. Yeah, it, it, it messed me up because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd already spent two and three years in the house. I already spent the last two years um, not going to events, not doing much. I moved up here to Riverdale to be away from the city. Um, so yeah, I'd already done a lot at that particular point in self, um, what I thought was self-healing. But the moment that my ego was bruised and um, all of the things that I thought that I deserved and were owed to me and I was finally going to get were stripped from me. Um, what did I have left, Ayana? Mm-hmm. Um, and right. that was that was that that hurt a lot. Um, so in that, I um, yeah, I had to do some some soul searching. In talking about choosing yourself first, finally choosing yourself first, and you know, right now I'm calling this chapter of my life becoming mm-hmm. because I think I've been in that for the last couple of years of really choosing myself, and everything else gets the overflow. With that, what would you say to artists? that are having a hard time right now, you know, haven't found a way to pivot yet. What would you say to encourage 
those artists who are dealing with their mental health and their spiritual health and even their physical health right now to choose yourself and get through this because we will get through it. Yeah, definitely. Um, the best advice I can give is breathe. Breath is the center and the, um, the beginning and the ending of everything. Mm-hmm. So our first therapist is breath. Um, the moment you begin to feel anything other than joy or the state that you want to be in, which is happiness or um, uh, contentment, um, when you feel anything outside of, of what you want to feel, you have to stop and breathe and take in the moment and be present. So that's the biggest thing. For a long time, my mind would dwell in the past. My mind would dwell in the future. It was very hard for me to be present, which also affected me wanting to 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 act or or be um, on stage because I couldn't play three different roles. I can play two. I can play myself and I can play a role on stage, but I can't play myself, whoever I want to pretend to be, and then another role on stage. Mm. So I have to um, choose. I had to choose. Um, and, and the choosing started with my breath first. I had to take in a breath to say, I choose me first. So that's the best advice I can give is to breathe um, and to listen to yourself, honor yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. And and simply put, to just breathe. Yeah. Along those lines, what do you look forward to in our industry when we come back and how things have changed? Because we do know that things need to change. And I think, you know, all of the issues that we are currently going through that have been exposed, the rug has been lifted in the general population of the U.S., but then also within the entertainment industry and then in the theater industry, all of the issues that have been happening. What do you hope our industry learns from this time and how do you hope they pivot and adapt and learn? You know, um, Ayanna, this is a uh, this is a battle that I have been fighting for a long time before this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Since the moment that I entered this industry, it has been a an uphill climb of uh, representation, of equality, of diversity, of speaking up and out for specifically for Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a BIPOC platform. I am a Black platform. My my voice um, and my activism is rooted in blackness. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be firm on that. My biggest takeaway going forward and, and what my biggest hope is, I guess I should say, is that people stand in their voice. I want mm. people to continue to stand in their voice. For so many years, I had to listen behind the scenes of people complaining and and rightfully so, um, hurt and um feeling attacked and feeling isolated and feeling, uh, uh, you know, the microaggressions and and feeling um, so many different things in which they all rightfully own those feelings. They 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 own those feelings. They're, they're theirs. Um, and I had to share those with them for so many years. And so um, I'm, I'm glad that we're now at a point where I don't have to hold more than I am supposed to carry. Um, mm-hmm. Broadway Black was literally the only platform for a long time. Um, and so I, I, I got a lot of the weight of what that meant. Uh, of, you know, some people even joked and called Broadway Black the NAACP of Broadway at one point in time. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, but that was a serious wait for me. And nothing, I didn't sign on for that. That's not what I signed up to do, um, mm-hmm. which is okay um, because I served my purpose for that at that time. Now, because we have so many other initiatives happening and so many other organizations, I am happy to see that and I'm happy to say that I can now focus on what I've always wanted to do, which is create positive and um, wonderful imagery for Black people in the theater. Uh, I want them to feel like stars. I want them to look like stars. I want like the stars that they are, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. And so being able to focus on that solely and focus on the positive messages and the positive stories of the different types of Black people that come into this industry is all that I have ever wanted. I've never been a a social justice or a, a justice warrior in this way. I am all for it, but I know my nerves. Like I, I know my body. I know the type of person that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I likes to fight. <laughs> I like to argue. I, you know, I have that sort of um, energy that I am combative in that way. And so I know that about myself and I know that I avoid um, instances that that rev me up in that way, that anger me, or that um, feel like there's not justice, there's injustice happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to not have to focus on those things. I like to be able to focus on the joy, which is why I stopped talking about any of the the stories that were coming out during the time of the pandemic, and we really just focused on the Antonios, which is why it seemed like the Antonios came out of nowhere when people really needed it because they had been talking about all of this turmoil and all this stuff that had been boiling up for years. And I said, there's no way I can continue to do that. I've already been doing that for eight years. I've already been talking about it on my podcast every week. I've been writing about it on the website. I've been doing posts about it on Instagram for eight years. And not many people were paying attention or wanting to galvanize change because they were in a position of power for themselves. So now that people don't have a job, they're now more than willing to... um, do more. Now that people don't have a job, they're now more willing to speak up. And my main hope is that they don't lose that um, voice once we Mm -hmm. get back to work and they feel as though now they have something to lose again. Um, That's Mm -hmm. all I hope. I I can, I can, um, yeah, that's all that I hope because if we continue um, and press forward with the change that's happening right now, and they continue using their voice, then I can mm-hmm. continue to use my voice in the way that I want to. Right. And and it will be better for everyone. And that change will actually happen if, if we all galvanize together for the greater good and, and people don't begin to back down or become scared because of, they now feel as though they have something to lose or they can't be the person to speak out anymore. Right, right. Does well said. Mean- <laughs> what do you say? Does that make sense? I mean, that, that makes complete and, sense. And you know, like Ayana, we you know me, so like mm-hmm. we, we experienced something in Virginia together, and you know that I I don't like having to do what I did in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I don't like having to speak up and out against what I see is injustice or what I see is um, unfair treatment, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, passive aggressive whiteness. I do not deal well in those spaces um, because whiteness loves to play dumb and that's not, um, I I just can't allow it. And so I don't like doing those types of things, but I have to because who else will if, 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 if I'm in the situation, if I'm in the space and nobody else will, who, I mean, who else would do it besides me? You know what I mean? Like, I don't like having to do it. So yeah, but I'm not afraid to. That's my whole point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, but I'm not afraid to. I guess that's my whole point. 
you're right, this this time has galvanized everybody to finally speak up that we don't lose it. Yeah. Once things start to come back and we start to, you know, take jobs that aren't that we didn't create, that we could potentially lose. Okay, well, if me speaking up means I lose it, then I guess I lose it. Right. But knowing that you've made something in this quarantine time that you can say, okay, if I lose that job, I still got these six other things happening for me. So that's fine. Yeah, definitely. Oh, Drew, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for being open. And of course, of course, of course, this was wonderful. And um, before I let you go, I must uh, say something to you, and that is I acknowledge you, I celebrate you, and I uplift you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Come on, affirmation. (laughs) You're very welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I do the same for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I received that. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing. Full for me, overflow for you really does sum up our conversation. It's a wonder why any of us has ever done anything but that. Like Andrew said, now that you've found your voice or are finding it, stand in it. Don't hold more than you can carry. Ask yourself, am I filling up with the things that make me happy and that I cherish so others can receive my overflow or am I cheating myself? Thank you again, Andrew. And thank you for tuning in. I'll speak to you soon.